Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you again this morning. Welcome to Freedom Church. This morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, and we're looking at verses 11 through to 20. I wonder what you'd do. I want you to imagine the scene. You're walking down the street and, and you see these seven men running out of a house. Their clothes are torn so badly that they're virtually naked. They're, they're bleeding. They, they look as if, one of them looks as if they've got a dislocated shoulder. The other one is limping so badly he's almost hopping. And, and the look on their face is sheer terror. Do you call for help? Do you investigate? Who do you tell? And there's one thing that's for sure, this is unsettling, it is disturbing, it's not normal. It feels evil. Paul has been in Ephesus for three months and He's been speaking about Jesus in the synagogue to virtually anyone who's going to listen to him. But he's eventually forced out of there and so he moves his ministry to a schoolroom and he, he preaches there for a further two years. And the result of that, well, verse 10 succinctly sums it up. It says, people throughout the province of Asia, both Jew and Greek, heard the word of the Lord. And this was a time of just great blessing. His ministry was extremely fruitful, so much so that even Paul's enemies had to admit that God's word was spreading and that the people were being saved. So today, as we pick up the story in Acts 19 verse 11, we read, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles with handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin. They were placed on sick people and they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. And in this passage, we're confronted with the supernatural. We read about these incredible miracles that God enabled Paul to perform that were so dramatic that often all it would take was for a cloth that Paul had touched to come into contact with a sick or a demon-possessed person and they would be healed. But actually, Paul was simply following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul healed the sick and cast out demons, he is showing loving compassion on the people that he's ministering to. At the same time, the, the miracle he's performing is it's just intrinsically linked with the message of the word of God. Healing lies at the very heart of the gospel. And in everything that he does, he's pointing people to Jesus, the one who is Lord over all, the one who deserves all the glory. You see, Paul wants people to know that he's not performing these miracles. He's simply an ambassador for Jesus Christ. So everything that he does comes from the foundation that we spoke about last week of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you missed that, do go back and have a listen. It's, you'll be able to catch it online. And 
We find that throughout the Bible, we read stories about healings. It begins right actually at the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. God reveals himself as, I am the Lord who heals you. In Numbers 21 and verse 9, Moses erected a bronze serpent in the wilderness and the people who looked at it were healed. Also, In the Old Testament, we read about men like Elijah and Elisha who saw just incredible healings as a direct response to their prayers. Then into the New Testament, when Jesus begins his ministry and declares that the promised kingdom of God is at hand, he introduces himself in Luke chapter 4 by quoting from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free. It has been said, and really without much exaggeration, that every time we meet Jesus in the gospel, he's either healing someone or he's returning from a healing or he's just about to go and heal someone else. He never turned anybody away. In fact, in some cases, it's recorded that he healed everyone who was present. In fact, very often, Jesus even initiated healings rather than waiting to be asked. And Peter sums up Jesus' ministry in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And, and, and what we see from Jesus' attitude to sickness is actually just a revelation of the will and the purpose of God, our Heavenly Father. See, Jesus only did the Father's work and will. And in case anybody is in any doubt at all, he declared that the Father and I are one. And throughout the Gospels, we see how God is inarguably and totally for healing. He is against sickness, and therefore, it would be crazy to think that that has changed. How could an unchanging, loving God who, who, who is in control of everything have somehow changed his attitude towards healing today? So, as we explore the subject of healing and deliverance, and the Bible doesn't seem to separate these. We start with a right understanding of the power of God revealed to us perfectly in Jesus Christ. That comes to those who believe through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and our joy and our hope comes as a direct result of knowing God and being in his presence. And our essential prayer must be that the kingdom of God comes now on earth as it is in heaven. This is God's desire over your life and over our church. So as spirit-filled Christians, we join the great battle that is fought not with swords, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ who is crucified and is risen from the dead. And, And Paul says, those well-known verses in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms 
See, it's fought for the souls of men and women. It's fought in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's fought with words of truth and deeds of love and justice. It's, it's a cry to bring the full gospel repentance and faith in Jesus that will see people restored, forgiven, set free and healed. God is a supernatural God. So it should not surprise any of us when he does supernatural things, miracles, healings, signs, wonders. See, God has not changed. And when God's spirit touches a person's life, he brings healing and he brings deliverance. And that still happens today. I want you to listen to a couple of testimonies. These were taken from New Day a year or two back where Adrian Hollowell is doing the interviews. Have a listen. Tell us your name. I'm Rebecca. And where are you from? St Ives, Cambridgeshire. Great. And just tell us, what's your role in your church here at New Day? I'm a youth leader. Okay, fantastic. So she's one of the youth leaders here, one of many here. What was the problem that you had when you came to New Day last year, Rebecca? Um, I had a problem with my back. I had a bulging disc and I also had um, a bad knee from an injury. Um, yeah, I had a tendon problem. Okay, and you were telling me that you'd had back trouble since you were 19. Is that, well, is that right? Yep. So tell us what happened last year. Um, not here. So um, you asked us to pray. I um, put my hand on my knee and on my back and um, I had a, a warm feeling and a flowing feeling going through my knee. I didn't feel anything in my back. And um, so I, I went outside to test it and ran up and down um, a field which I hadn't done for a long time. Fantastic. So you were completely healed? Yes, both my knee and my back. And t tell us... Isn't that great? Tell us what, what difference practically has being healed of these problems since you were 19, yeah? What difference has it made to be kind of normal? It's amazing. Um, I've got two little boys who I'm, I'm able to pick up and play with and they're not having to worry that they're going to hurt me when cuddling me and things like that. So, yeah, I'm able to run again. Um, so, lots of things. <laughs> you were telling me, Heather, that you'd had a very long-standing problem with your hearing, is that right? That's correct, yeah. T tell us, how long had you had a hearing loss? Since I was a child, so about 10 years ago. Now I'm the kid. <laughs> Do, a long, long time. So, you, you were saying that it was only... 20% hearing and 80% hearing loss? That's correct, yeah. And, and you were here last year at New Day. Tell us what happened. Um, I was being prayed for and uh, they were, there was people on this side and lots of noise around and I realised I could hear out of this ear. So, yeah. So you'd had this hearing loss for your whole life since a child and all of a sudden you can hear normally? Yep, that's correct, yeah. Wow. Fantastic. But I know that that's only part of the healing story that you've also had another healing in your family do you want to tell us about that yeah my son Lucas um, was diagnosed with ADHD about five years ago um, I had to take um, medication the highest dose of a, a drug called Concerta um, he got prayed for it in your day and he hasn't had a tablet since so. wow and he's been taking these tablets for four years five years five years of daily ADHD combating drugs and then he didn't take his tablet and he's been signed off he doesn't need the tablets he hasn't touched the tablet since and he's a totally changed person 
That's fantastic. And we just praise God. These, these are just wonderful stories. These are just miraculous, life-changing healings. I want to tell you just one more story. One, one of my aunts is a, is a counsellor, and she's, she had counselled a, a young woman who, from about the age of 12 years old, had an eating disorder. And 10 years has gone past and, and she's seen something like 17 different counsellors and specialists before she, she comes to my aunt. The previous specialist had pretty much signed her off. He, it told her that you have no hope. You, you, we, we just can't do anything for you. And her family were at their wits end and they, they actually felt that they just could not cope with her anymore. So they asked her to leave their home. However, that year they had booked themselves into a, a Christian conference with some friends. And when one of their friends dropped out at the last minute, they were praying about who they would invite along. And they'd barely finished praying when the phone rings. And it's the sister on the phone. And the sister says to them, God has told me that I need to be at that conference this year because God is going to heal me. The truth was, this was the last person that they actually expected to phone them. And after a few hours, they, they phoned her back and invited her, invited her to stay with them. And during that week, she, she went forward for prayer in one of the meetings. And as the Holy Spirit touched her, God healed her instantly from her eating disorder. And, and she walked out of that meeting and she said to her sister, let me take you out for dinner. Bear in mind, she hasn't eaten a proper meal for something like eight to ten years. And, and this girl has now began to put weight on. She says to my aunt, I, I, never, I never knew that food could taste so good. You see, God can do in seconds what years of counselling just cannot do. And when the, when the Spirit of God turns up, victory comes. But of course, the story raises a number of important questions that we, we certainly need to consider because I I cannot begin to understand why God would allow someone to struggle through years of hell before healing her. Or why he intervenes in some people's lives and yet not in others. But I do know that unless God turns up in a miraculous way, we cannot have true victory. Because unless the Holy Spirit moves, we can go through the motions of church, but lives are not changed, people are not healed, and, and we, will, we will not have the victory, at least not on this side of eternity, because there is no formula. We, we can pray over handkerchiefs all we want, but unless the Holy Spirit's anointing is present, nothing happens. So don't look for formulas. God will not be boxed in. But we need to turn to him, to cry out to him. And healing is not some sort of magic act that has God at our beck and call. See, God's not at the end of a, a rope that we just tug on when we want something done. That's just not how it works. The reality is, in my experience, is that not everyone is healed. And it's one of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the now and the not yet, because some of the most faith-filled believers who I know journey with sickness and with pain. But yet it never stops us from asking. 
Keep praying. Keep seeking for God's healing, God's touch. See, when you witness a miraculous healing, you get a glimpse of heaven. And it's a reminder that one day that Jesus will come back. He's going to return and that we and our and we will have perfect bodies. There'll be no sickness. There's no death. There's no pain. When, when God's kingdom finally comes in all of its glory, Jesus will make all things new without exception. But in the meantime, we live in this dilemma of why some are healed and others are not. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus wants to use you today. To show other people God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So we will pray for the sick, for people's problems. We will believe for healings. We'll expect God to do what only God can do. And when God answers, we tell them that Jesus did the work that we give all glory. We give honor to God. Because God's involvement is the only thing that will ensure breakthrough. And we need breakthrough. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes and moves in our lives that he brings transformation. And the key to unlocking healing is prayer. Victory comes by prayer. And your prayers are God's way of accomplishing the victory of Jesus Christ over this world. And perhaps, perhaps you've never thought about praying in this way before, but as your faith is soaked in prayer and as you cry, as your and as the, the cry of your heart is for God to intervene in your life, in your church and in your nation. You're lifting up the banner of God over the community and you're raising a shout of joy, a shout of victory. So you look forward to the triumph of God as you declare Jesus is King. But miraculous healings are only part of Paul's experience in Ephesus because there's a battle going on over nations, over cities, over communities and Ephesus was no different. I want to pick the story back up again. We're in chapter 19 verse 13 this time. It reads, a group of Jews were traveling from town to town casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantations, saying, I command you the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to the Jews and to the Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honoured. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burnt them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful 
impact. See, Ephesus was the center of the occult. And Paul is demonstrating God's power in the very heart of Satan's territory. However, the reality is that wherever God's people minister truth, Satan is going to come against them. And very often he sends a counterfeit to oppose his work. And one of Satan's most successful ploys is to imitate whatever God's people are doing because he knows that many people will often not be able to tell the difference. The story that ends with beaten and naked men running for their lives begins with a well-known Jewish priest called Sceva who had seven sons. And they go to a house to perform an exorcism on a man who's possessed by a demonic spirit. But it, it was not unusual for Jewish priests to try and cast out demons, but what was unusual was for them to use the name of Jesus. And since these men had no personal relationship with Jesus, they had to use the name of Paul as well. In fact, they are just deliberately copying, imitating Paul. And I guess this description does give us a clue. It gives an insight into how Paul dealt with demons. So just as Paul did, they speak directly to the demon and they command it in the name of Jesus to come out of its victim. <laughs> what could go wrong? The demon speaks because it knows it has the upper hand. And it says, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And the demon who has taken control of this man attacks the seven priests. He drives them from the house and it's absolute carnage. Their clothes are ripped off. They are beaten. They're literally running for their lives. They are so frightened. And they learned a valuable lesson that day. If you underestimate Satan's power, if you try to fight the demonic in your own strength without Jesus Christ, you will not succeed. So while I believe that Satan has been defeated at the cross, Jesus Christ has got the victory. There's no question. There's no doubt about that. Satan is not powerless. Not yet. Because, because once again we discover that fighting the demonic does not merely depend on the right formula or just carefully using carefully selected chosen words. Listen, there is no formula. You deal with demonic, demonic forces in the power and with the authority of Jesus Christ. And to do that, you must be a sincere follower of Jesus who by faith is under the protection of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and who is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And the problem is that we can react to stories like this by just simply becoming defensive. Even as Christians we can run away in fear and we think I don't want anything to do with that and it, and it can look something a little bit like this. What is happening? It's the curse! The curse is going to perish us! We're going to perish all over the place! Oh, this! Now follow me! I'm losing life force! <laughs>
safe. For now. Not safe! Not safe! Not safe! But that's not how the Christian is called to live. You need to learn to take both a defensive and an offensive position. See, as good warriors do. That's why Paul writes, again in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 11, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So while... While we are called to stand firm, we are called to take a defensive stance, which you do by being committed to righteousness, to truth in all of your life. However, you also must take an offensive position as well. It's not just about holding ground. You and I need to be taking new ground. But unfortunately, to many people operate, too many Christians operate only in a defensive mode spiritually and, and they're unwilling to take new ground and they even up, even end up feeling that Satan's got the upper hand. Church, listen to me, we need to go on the offensive. You know, it's all well and good to stand in church and to attend meetings after meeting and to hear that God is building his church and of course he is. And we can even declare that the church is mighty and that the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's important we do declare that. But the sad truth is that in many areas the gates of hell are prevailing. Entire cities, communities, schools, families, marriages, individuals are trapped behind the gates of hell. And the, the Bible does not say that the gates of hell are going to just automatically fold or fall down. Gates are for defensive purposes, but if there is no attack, they will continue to stand and, and they are not going to fall down by themselves. We have to move against them. The strong, mature body of Christ must go on the offensive and must advance against the gates of hell and then they will not prevail. Matthew 16 verse 18. But I can't, I can't overemphasize this enough. You can't do this without God. And he will not do it apart from you. You must learn to be a warrior, to walk faithfully in obedience to God and, and learn to rely on him completely. God is calling you to take responsibility. Yes, he... He will do it through you by the power of his spirit, but you must stand up and take action. You need to evangelize. You must be praying. You are to resist the devil. If you do not resist the devil, he will not be resisted. And you will become an effective warrior when you're filled with the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And then you are equipped with his infinite power and grace. But if you're waiting around for God to do it all, you're waiting in vain. That is not the way that God operates in this world. 
And, and, and much of what he does, he does through his people. And he has told you exactly what to do. He's given you all the weapons that you need to do it. And the primary way in which you engage in spiritual warfare is through prayer. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. He says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. And as you intercede, you are a threat to Satan and the forces of evil. And as you stand between us, you stand in the gap, you hinder the work of Satan on the earth and you, you turn away his attack and you destroy his plans. But what the devil tries to do and often does it very effectively is to preoccupy our minds and our energies with ourselves. And, and, and the more that he can distract us, the more that we can be fighting internally or focusing on our own problems, the less effective that you are going to be in intercessory prayer because Satan wants you to be bound up by fear, by depression, to, to be crippled by lust, by materialism, anything that will stop you from praying. In fact, he probably doesn't even mind if you're praying as long as you're praying self-centered prayers and you need to wake up and you need to get up and you need to see the threat that you are to him as an intercessor and realize how significant you are as God's agents here on earth. You need to actively resist the powers of darkness and stand against his works and effects in, in people's lives. However, I, I suspect that most of us do not stand in the authority that is ours in Christ Jesus to resist the enemy and to come against him. Don't get me wrong. God is not limited to us. He can do what he wants when he wants. He is sovereign. He's not bound by anyone or anything. God is God. However, God has chosen to include you and me to take responsibility and take authority for this world. And God has chosen to move in the affairs of people to the degree to which you pray. God will not eliminate the middleman or woman. So there are certain areas that God will not move in unless you pray and he is astonished that you don't pray I believe Paul was a man of prayer in fact the interesting conclusion to the story pretty much proves that it also just provides us this beautiful example of how the ministry of healing and deliverance can affect a whole community. The sight of these seven brothers fleeing in panic from demons had a profound impact on the whole of Ephesus. And, and a strong dividing line is drawn between the disciples of Jesus and the unbelievers. You see, had 
this exorcism succeeded, it had the potential to discredit the name of Jesus and, and the ministry of the church in Ephesus. But, but as we've seen many times before, God turns the evil plans of Satan around. And what appears to be a win for the demonic forces of Satan is quite the opposite. Instead of disgracing the name of Jesus, this event magnifies Jesus' name. So rather than damaging the church, the church grows rapidly and with it comes a new seriousness in regard to sin. So much so that those who have become followers of Jesus confess their sinful practices. And there is no place in the church for hidden sin. True believers cannot live with one foot in the kingdom of God and then another foot in the kingdom of Satan. An example of these Ephesian Christians is one that each of us must follow by examining our own hearts. For them it required the removal of the, their possessions of magic books containing the secret formulas that they used in occultic practices. And these books were of course very valuable and it, it was costly. Don't overlook how challenging this act of repentance was. But once their eyes are opened to the real spiritual issue, they openly confessed their evil deeds. They brought their book to their spells together. They burnt them publicly. It, it must have been a huge bonfire. And the books that they burnt that day were estimated to be around a value of something like several million dollars. And as they repented, as they turned from their sins, they realized that Jesus was more valuable than any amount of personal wealth. True faith and repentance is costly. And we don't talk about this enough. See, faith and repentance require sacrifice that sometimes, in fact, nearly always will hurt. But there really is no place for sin in the life of a believer. We need to make clean breaks from sin and to break every tie with Satan. Anything that is not of God must be removed from your life and from your home. Jesus has called you and he's called me to live a holy life in obedience to him and to him alone. And repentance begins with an attitude of brokenness over sin. But true repentance will be followed by this earnest desire, this sincere effort to put away the sin that you've repented of. As you mourn over your sin against an infinitely holy God, you will find peace with God. And by God's grace, you will discover hope in the promise that God will not despise a broken and contrite heart. Psalm 51 verse 17. But repentance is not just about dealing with sin through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. It's putting on the Christ-like virtues that are missing in your life through the Holy Spirit. And, and I cannot speak for anybody else other than myself, but I often find myself failing as much as I succeed at times. And when I fail, it, 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 it should bring me back to a, a broken and a 
contrite heart that just mourns over sin. Brokenness and repentance are marks of a growing Christian. And, and over time, it brings transformation. Gradually, but supernaturally, it moves us and changes us to become more and more like Jesus. And this is why we continually need the gospel. The wonderful news that Jesus Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins. Yes, all of them. He dealt with them all. The big sins, the little sins, the so-called respectable sins, the little white lies as we often talk about. They need dealt with. The sins that we are painfully conscious of and the sins that we are not even aware of. As the, the old hymn says, my sin, not in part, but in whole, has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Make repentance a regular part of your time in God's presence. Don't rush it. Allow the Holy Spirit to shine the light of to shine the light of God's word on your heart. And if you live with unrepented sin or unforgiveness or selfish desires, it's going to destroy you. It destroys your relationship with God, but it destroys your relationship with others around you as well. It opens you up to Satan's attack. But with repentance, obedience, and faith, you will advance the kingdom of God and live in the victory that is yours through Jesus Christ. Let's just finish with a prayer. Father in heaven, we honour your name. Father, we pray your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we come before you and we pray you forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness that we may walk in your ways today and tomorrow and the days that are to come. So now I just want to invite you just to confess any sins that need to be confessed before God. Take a moment. The Holy Spirit just brings things to your mind. Tell God about them. Ask for forgiveness. Even in this moment, why not ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in your house that actually needs to be removed? There's sometimes practical things that need to be done. This act of repentance. Things that maybe you've held on from the past, from the life you lived before you got to know Jesus. Books. Artifacts that need to be removed. 
So we invite you, Holy Spirit, come now. Come and fill us. Just a fresh filling as we prayed last week, we pray again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and minister into my heart. Come and do deep work of grace. We pray that in the precious, the most glorious name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.